So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking on this topic that's up there on the screen, uh, talking about the future, in particular eternity, the life after this life, and the importance of having an eternal perspective and not just an earthly perspective. Earthly perspectives are necessary, they're fine, they're important, but the problem is not having an eternal perspective and not even, and, not, and also not having more of an eternal perspective than an earthly, because earthly is momentary. It's a very, very short period of time. Obviously, we need an eternal perspective because we're talking about a long period of time. And if you were with us uh, over the last few weeks, you remember the rope illustration. My favorite part of that rope illustration that we uh, that we received from Francis Chan was when we were doing that last Sunday, S uh, walked in, she walked out for a moment in the service, and then walked right back in, and I just, it just made me crack up. She just reached up and touched the rope there that was hanging from the balcony, and it just, it was such, so, so funny and significant for me, just thinking S just touched eternity. <laughs> um, but we also did this uh, last week, we did the difference between earthly perspective and heavenly, and we talked about an earthly perspective, for instance, is afraid of death. An eternal perspective is unafraid of death. An earthly perspective is being upset about old age. And a heavenly perspective is being, you know, like recognizing the importance of maturing ourselves. And even as we're wasting away, our inner being is being transformed. All of those things. So an eternal perspective, absolutely preferable to an earthly perspective. Need this, gotta have this, all right? And so we went through all of that. And, and, and I said to you, the next thing that we're going to talk about is how do you gain that eternal perspective? And then, right on its heels of that question, how do you maintain that eternal perspective? How do you get a heavenly view of your existence when you're living so much on the earth? And then how do you maintain that heavenly view when you're consumed with so much of the stuff of this earth? And so, we're going to begin by turning to the Bible, and the main verse that we've been focused on over the last uh, couple of times that we've gone through this series. And so, uh, it is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And here's what it says, and you can read it there. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now there's a lot more that that chapter, well, well, the whole book of Timothy, but also the chapter that we're talking about. There's a lot more that it has to say. But we're focused on just this beginning statement of the fourth chapter because it's in these few words that we definitely see an eternal perspective, a heavenly view of life as we live it. And it's important for us in asking this question, how do I obtain an eternal perspective? How do I maintain an eternal perspective? For us to think about who the author is, who exactly is writing this to us. Now we know ultimately the author is the Holy Spirit because the Bible comes to us as a supernatural book. And, 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 and the more you study it, the more you realize this is a, a living, breathing book from God, breathed by God, by His Spirit. And, and yet God spoke into human authors. And, and it's a, a fascinating thing to study that. But the human author that's writing this is the Apostle Paul. And it's important for us to think about that because 
His, his name is Paul, but his way of describing his calling is apostle. Now, the beautiful thing about us thinking about it is it's going to begin to open the doors uh, of our understanding and how to gain and maintain an eternal perspective. When we think about Paul being an apostle who was surrounded by prophets. Now, lodge that in your mind until we can unfold that completely. But let's start about not just talking about him as an apostle, but how he was surrounded by prophets. The first time that we're introduced to Paul was when he was being converted, when, when God was transforming his life from a persecutor of the church into a propagator of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and a great leader in the church, if not the greatest other than Jesus himself. But when we're secondly introduced to him, we see him at a church called Antioch in Acts chapter 13. And in the very few first few verses of Acts 13, it says, In the church at Antioch were prophets and teachers. And then we know that there were apostles there because it names the prophets and the teachers. And by the way, I love the beautiful diversity of them. They're from Europe. They're from Africa. They're from the Middle East. It's, it's like an awesome, awesome, beautiful, beautiful church. And no wonder God used that church to change the whole world in the first century. Uh, that's where the missions movement started. And so you've got this beautiful church, but we know that there are apostles in it because as it names the prophets and the teachers, two of them that are named are Barnabas and Paul. And we learn later on that Paul became an apostle, Barnabas became an apostle, and they're recognized as such throughout the whole of the New Testament. But even before they were recognized as, as apostles, they were among those who were recognized as prophets and teachers. And here's why it's so important for us to think about through whom this heavenly perspective comes. Because knowing that Paul was an apostle with another apostle, surrounded by prophets, it's important for us to know that because it is through this that they received an eternal perspective, a heavenly view of life. It was through their apostolic experience. It was through their uh, prophetic experience. Because here's what apostles and prophets do. Apostles hear from heaven, apostles see heaven, and they actually are able to bring heaven to earth. The apostolic ministry of the early church, the prophetic ministry of the early church, was seeing what was taking place in heaven, was hearing what was taking place in heaven, and communicating that to the earth. It didn't start with them alone. There were Old Testament apostles. There were Old Testament prophets that did the same thing. They saw what was going on in heaven. They heard what was going on in heaven. And they brought heaven to earth. And so what we see in Paul's experience was uh, being an apostle, surrounded by prophets. He was seeing heaven, hearing from heaven on a regular basis. And the, the, the fact is for us, as earthlings, okay, as people confined to time and space here on this planet, we have to see heaven. We have to hear heaven. We have to know a greater perspective than what we know on this earth. Even just to know where we came from as human beings, what our purpose is as human beings, where we're going after we die. Uh, is there an ultimate meaning to life? You know, these things have to, we have to have answers to these 
And the only answers that we have to these are the answers that come to us from heaven. But thank God, there are some answers from heaven. Can you say amen? So do you remember this slide that we used back in the fall from our, uh, when we were starting our Culture of Honor series? Um, that we're now, you know, we've resumed already. We've been kind of easing back in uh, to that teaching uh, theme that we're on, a culture of honor, um, how we should create a, a culture of honor to sustain a supernatural environment. And so we started that. We're continuing on with that. And, and this picture that you have of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, three connected to the earth, two to the heavens, um, is taken from that passage of scripture. If you were here, you remember, and you might know it even if you weren't here, if you're familiar with the passage, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, So Christ Jesus himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How many of you want to attain to the whole measure of the full, fullness of Christ? You want to just be so filled with Jesus. How many of you want Embassy Church to be filled to the fullness of the measure of the fullness of Christ? You know, and the churches around us, Chi Alpha, David's Dead, all of these ministries that we're in relationship with and prayer with, um, we want us all to be filled. And what it's saying to us here is the way to be filled is to have active among us this fivefold calling. Apostles active among us, prophets, also evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now three, and I mentioned this, three of these callings are in operation with mostly a focus on the earth. And we need to focus on the earth. Evangelists go after people on the earth to bring them to the relationship with Jesus. Pastors take care of people on the earth to help them to grow spiritually. Teachers equip people. They, they help ground people in their faith. And their focus is on the earth. And we need to have that. Imagine having a church with only apostles and prophets, okay? We hear from heaven, we don't do anything about it, you know? We see heaven and nothing really happens. So we've got to have a beautiful balance of these. Um, but the two that are there in the sky are, are those two that are bringing to us the perspective of heaven. And they're the ones who are pointing us to heaven. They're the ones who are seeing heaven, hearing from heaven, and bringing heaven to earth. Now, I'd love to get inside your brain right now and say, are you getting, you know, just see if you're getting what I'm saying. But this is like, there, there's more brain power in this room than probably just about any room you could be in on a general basis. There's a lot of smart people here. So are you getting it? Just if, if, if you have to say yes now, because if not, you might think, oh, maybe I'm not so smart. But you get it. Are we there? Are we there? Are we okay? All right? This is the thing that we're getting to. So apostles were seen from heaven, prophets here from heaven, and together they bring heaven earth. And, and we also read that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And that, that passage, that, that verse says this. And God, if you're writing notes, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. The other one was Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 11 through 13. But this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, And God has placed... In the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, 
then miracles, then gifts of healing, heal, uh, uh, gifts of healing, or, I'm sorry, gifts of healing and of helping, of guidance, and of different kind of language. So if we're going to have an eternal perspective, we have to hear from apostles and prophets. And not only the apostles and prophets that we hear from when we read the Bible, okay? It all has to start with reading the Bible. If you're going to be hearing from heaven, you've got to be hearing from the Word of God. This book is from heaven, and we need to be opening it up. But the reality is, is that God has placed apostles and prophets' words in Scripture, but also has for us to hear the apostles and prophets of today. And when we hear from those apostles, whether we call them by that, those titles or not, when we hear from those who have prophetic ministry, apostolic ministry, then we are receiving a, 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 an eternal perspective, a heavenly view of life, not only for our own lives, but for our church life, for who we are together. We need to hear from God, see from God, and then act that out. We need to put that into action. So let me just say this. There's an issue in most modern day churches, and we just need to be honest with it. We have the ministry of evangelists, pastors, and teachers. <laughs> But for the most part, modern-day churches don't have the ministry of apostles and prophets. I just, I just think that it's logical for us to say that if God gave all five of these ministries to the church to build them up and bring them into fullness, why would we not have them today just like they had them in the New Testament church? The New Testament church was a miracle church. It was awesome. It was pure. It wasn't political. It was, they, they, they were willing to die for their faith. If they had, no, no question. They were absolutely 100% committed. There were issues they had to deal with, with different personalities and different doctrines that tried to seep in. The devil's always going to try and do stuff like that. But the purity of that church was so beautiful. The beautiful unity in so many ways of the early church. And it was because you were hearing from heaven. It wasn't just those taking care of those on earth from an earthly perspective, but those who were hearing from heaven. You had the ministry of Paul and Peter and others. You had the ministry of, uh, of those prophets uh, that were there that ministered to Paul and others that were there. So the New Testament church needed apostles and prophets. I'm going to just say today's church needs apostles and prophets. We've got to have that ministry. We have to honor it. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. 2 Chronicles 20, 20. Says this, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. <laughs> I love that. But then it says this, the next sentence says this, believe his prophets, and you will succeed. Now, not, not everyone who says they're speaking prophetically, or everyone who, who puts a title on their uh, before or after their name that says apostle. Not all so-called apostles are, are apostles. Not all so-called prophets are prophets. The reality is, is that there are some people who prophesy all sorts of things. My dad got saved in this church in the 1950s and, and a couple of years later was sent off to Bible college. And, and a woman came up to him and prophesied over him that he was supposed to marry her daughter. And as a relatively new Christian, he thought, okay, that's what God wants me to do. And he said, for the next few months, I tried everything I could to date that young lady. And then I came to the conclusion, this cannot possibly be God. 
and, and went and got some counsel and said, you know what, was that a true prophecy? And somebody said, no, that was just somebody wanting you to marry their daughter. That was just the bottom line. So the reality is we've got to separate. The Bible even says, hold on to what is good and let go. Go ahead and judge the prophecy. If it's not of God, let go of it. Don't hold on to it. Uh, and, and, and yet prophecy, we've got to embrace the prophetic words of the Lord, the apostolic callings of the Lord. Let me give you an example. Let's go back to the Christmas story. Anna the prophet is recorded about in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. Luke 2, 36 through 38. And it says this, there was also a prophet... I don't know how to pronounce her name back then. I, I, I'd like to say Anna. Let's say Anna, because I would say Anna, and it's probably way too American, okay? So let's just say this. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. Stop the presses. Don't you want to say, what a miserable woman. She must have been so miserable. She was married seven years and then never married again. No, read the rest of the story. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting, praying, coming up to them. Who? Coming up to Mary and Joseph, who were bringing Jesus, the Son of God, born not of an earthly father, coming from heaven above, born of a virgin woman, and here they come to present Jesus in the temple, and it says that Anna came up to them at that very moment. See, she was by this time so in the presence of God, so eternally focused, so heavenly focused, that she knew the moment. She knew the person who was coming in. And while everyone around her, except for herself and another prophet named Simeon, thought this was just another child, it says at that moment she came up to them and gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of of Jerusalem. Woohoo! Man, what a prophet! What a beautiful thing! Nobody was recognizing the coming of Jesus in the temple that day, but a prophet of the Lord, a woman who had given herself to the presence of God, comes up to them at that moment and says, This, this is the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the promised Messiah for all for all centuries that is now here on the earth. Wow, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? You remember how Jesus, when he, when he was full grown on the earth, taught us to pray? He said, pray this way. Our Abba in heaven. You say, well, I thought it said our Father. Well, he spoke Aramaic, and the word that he used for Father was Abba. So he says, our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name. What name did he just give? Abba. <laughs> you know, special is your name. The most special is your name. Like, may it be honored in my life and in, let, let everyone know your name, Abba. And so Jesus taught us to pray that everyone would know God and know Him not just as a distant God, but as a personal God, as an Abba, as a loving Heavenly Father. So Jesus taught us to pray, Our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then He said, This is how you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, why did He ask us? To pray heaven and earth. Because in heaven, nothing is impossible. In the, on the earth, a lot of things are impossible, okay? We are bound by our own experiences, sometimes just by our own addiction. 
sometimes just by our own attitudes, sometimes by the low level of our belief system. There's a lot of impossibility on the earth, but there's no impossibility in heaven. That's why we need to have heaven come to earth. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let me give you an example of heaven coming to earth and making the impossible possible. It's another one in Luke chapter 1, verse 35 through 37. Back again to the Christmas story. And the angel heard, and the angel answered, speaking to Mary, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What's the angel answering? What question? If you read the story before, you know that Mary has said, how will this be? I'm a virgin. I've not been with a man. I mean, there's no, there's no earthly way for me to be pregnant right now. How is this going to happen without, you know, the natural man, woman, all of those things? How will this be? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Heaven will open up over you. Heaven will come down into your existence. And then it says, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I'm going to talk about Jesus being an apostle and prophet in a moment, but never forget this. He fulfilled the calling of an apostle. He fulfilled the calling of a, of a prophet, but he was uniquely the son of God. I want to tell my Muslim friends this. I say, you know what? Your Quran tells you that Jesus was born of a virgin. What other prophet was born of a virgin? Tell me what other prophet. And if he was born of a virgin, that means he has no earthly father. That means that supernaturally God is his father. Why don't you just go ahead and bow right now and confess Jesus as the divine son of God who came to save the world. It doesn't, always, it doesn't happen that easily, unfortunately. But, but you know, that's the message. And then the angel said to Mary, and behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has conceived a son. A barren woman, decade after decade, dreams being death, like experiencing a death-like experience. Like everything that I wanted to experience, I'm not experiencing as far as childbirth is concerned. And yet it says Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and, and this is the sixth month with her who, had, who was called barren. And then it ends with this statement, for nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. I want you to say that over your life right now. Nothing is impossible with God. Say it over your family right now. Nothing is impossible with God. Hey, students, say it over your school right now. Nothing is impossible with God. Hey, employers and employees over your workforce, say, say where you work, say it right now. Nothing is impossible with God. Come on, let's keep going. Let's say it over D.C. Nothing is impossible with God. Embassy Church, come on, let's say it to ourselves. Nothing is impossible with God. I don't want to stop here. Nations of the earth, including the Middle East, including the 1040 window, just ask China that is experiencing the greatest revival in church history uh, by numbers. Uh, let's say it over the nations. Nothing, Nothing is, is impossible, impossible with God. God. Let's say it right down Embassy Road. 
Let's say it to the nations that are represented in this city. And by the way, do you know where, where Embassy Row ends for us? When you go down Embassy Row, it ends right at the United States Capitol and has just gone by the White House. Let's say it to the embassies. Let's say it to uh, the, 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 uh, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and just on the other side of that, the United States Supreme Court. And before you even get to them, on the way down this road, the, the, the White House, let's say it to all these nations in this nation. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, praise it, but also pray it. You just praise it. You just declared it as praise that nothing is impossible with God. But go a step beyond praise. Let that view from heaven invade your prayer room. Go into your prayer room and declare that nothing is impossible with God because God has chosen one vehicle by which to bring heaven to earth and it is through pray, through prayer. He said, this is how you should pray. Our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name, Abba. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The only way that God brings heaven to earth, and I know that it's through an apostolic perspective and a prophetic perspective, but the actual means of it happening among the prophets, the apostles, and among all the people of God, it's all common to every single one of us. The vehicle by which God has chosen to bring heaven to earth is prayer. If you believe it, say amen. amen. If you want to live it, say amen. amen. Charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Is Evan back yet? Evan, are you here? I don't like Evan anymore. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Evan is getting to be friends with Manny Pacquiao. Or at least his family. When Manny fought last week, when he boxed last week, Evan was there. That's why I don't like him anymore. <laughs> I'm like, you do. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> but he got more excited to me about something else recently. He came to me and he started talking about prophecy. He started talking about the time in which we live and how the coming of the Lord is soon. And he started talking to me about conversation he had with Jonathan and Maria and, and things that he was read about what God is doing in, in, in Israel and other parts of the world. And, and he was like, do you, do you know this is happening? Do you know that these things are being fulfilled now? That what we read in Scripture from hundreds of years ago are actually happening now? And he was real excited about it because he was like, Jesus is coming. This is, this is real. And I just want to let you know that the reason why heaven is thinking about heaven... Couldn't wait to see that line. Couldn't wait for that one. I'm cheeky as all get out when it comes to those lines, right? The reason why Evan is thinking about heaven is because of the ministry of apostles and prophets. It's those apostles who wrote those scriptures, those prophetic scriptures. It was the prophets who wrote those scriptures. It was, it, it's the prophets who are pointing to them here in our day. Now, again, a word of caution. Don't believe everything you hear that comes in the name of prophecy. And I'll give you an example. In the 1970s, we heard a lot of things that they, they were saying were happening, that were signs of the time. And I'm just going to tell you, half of the things, if not 90% of the things that they talked about, turned out not to be true, okay? Like, there were so many things where they were saying, this is the Antichrist, and this is where, you know, the, the, the thing is, and so a lot of those things, they, they just don't turn out to be true, and, and, and just know that, that 
sensationalism is what lots of people like to grab a hold of. And just remember that a lot of authors know that, speakers know that, and they know they can sell books for money, right? Um, because you're going to gobble up those books and things like that. And, and, and so don't believe everything everybody says. But you know what they were right about in the 70s? They were right that Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> they were right that, that, that prophecies are being fulfilled. They weren't right on everything, but they were right on a lot of things. And there's a lot more things today that are accurate than there were back then. So we're hearing from heaven. And so, incidentally, what was the Apostle Paul, Paul's perspective when his focus was on eternity? And I want you to see this in the next verse. Uh, after verse 1, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his spirit and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I want to read it from another translation, because we know that the English is not what the Bible was written in. So from the Greek, there's another one in the English. It says, preach the message. Be ready when it, whether it is convenient or not convenient. That's what in season or out of season means, okay? And so Paul said, you know what? Because I have a heavenly, eternal perspective, I know what, I, what needs to be done on the earth right now. I'm just telling you this. If you have a heavenly perspective, an earthly perspective, you know how to live your life today. You know how to not waste it. You know how to not look back with all these regrets saying, really, I did all that and none of it mattered? You know you're going to count your days. If you have an eternal perspective, you're going to go, no, that's not worthy of my time. I only have one short period of time here in this earth that I'm going to live it for the sake of eternity. And when you do that, it changes your whole perspective. In Paul's case, he says, in view of God's appearing, in view of this, I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, you might not be this kind of preacher up here before, before people, but all of us are preachers. Every time we tell somebody what Jesus has happened in our lives, get rid of the word preach. It just has become too archaic for you. You think preacher, preacher, preacher. Just pr proclaim. Just share the faith. Just tell somebody the good news. Shepherds did it. Angels did it. Um, all the people of God did it. It wasn't just the great apostle Paul. The gospel was brought to Rome with no apostles, no prophets involved that we know about in the scripture. All of them are nameless. Let, you, let yourself be the nameless one who, who, who preaches to others about the good news of Jesus. Can you say amen? So Paul the apostle based his instructions on his heavenly view, on his view of eternity. He lived in the presence of God. If you, I, I don't have time, because we, 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 we have to take a little more time for announcements today. Actually, a lot more, because we had a lot of things to share. And then, you know, frankly, we didn't start right at 11 with our worship. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you some verses to read. Acts chapter 7, 55 through 56. Look at Stephen, Acts 7, 55 through 56. Write it down. Read it when you get a chance. Look at the difference in Stephen's earthly life, which was horrible. You think you have life bad. He had a horrible life. I just want you to ask yourself this. Do I ever want to be stoned? Do I ever want to be killed dead by people throwing large stones at me? That's how horrible his life was. But look at his reaction to that because of his eternal perspective, because of his heavenly view of life. It's awesome right there. It's amazing. So, and I want to just tell you real quick, 
This, this family right here, they live somewhere in the central part of the U.S. I read about them a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought, i got to tell this story about living in the presence of God with an eternal view. It's an amazing illustration. The, this mom and dad have seven sons. I'm just going to say this. If you have seven sons, you better live with more than an earthly perspective. That's all I'm saying, okay? Because right? you, you, if you only focus on the earth when you have seven sons, you're going crazy. But if you have a heavenly perspective, if you know the presence of God and you're living for more than this life, you, you'll be okay. And I want to give you an example. They left church with their seven sons and their one son named Titus. They call him the Sermonator. The Sermonator. Because he loves, he loves Billy Graham. Billy Graham is his favorite preacher. And he knows already in his little age, his young age, that God has called him to be a preacher. And he's been learning how to preach. He's been preaching. He's seven years old. He's been preaching. He's been uh, just sharing the gospel in church, outside of church, letting people know about Jesus, sharing the word of God with people. And he's an amazing little guy. And he was with his family coming out of a restaurant after they'd eaten after church. And he just darted across the parking lot. And an SUV ran him over and trapped him underneath, right in the center, the middle of that car, underneath. And I want to tell you what the dad did. The dad ran, and he started to lift up the car. And he started to yell for help. I just, I love when dads do dad stuff that they're supposed to do. I just love that. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to lift the car, and I know I can't do it. So I'm going to yell, yay! And a bunch of guys came out of the, of the restaurant, and they literally lifted this car off of this boy. I want to tell you the end of the story before I'm done. Because some of you are like, is he okay? Is he okay? Is he okay? He left the hospital that night with only a few minor aches and pains and bruises and a few burns that he got minor burns from the underneath side and the hot underneath side of that car. But he was he was he was back to school that week. He was you know just oh, everything's good, right? But I want to tell you about this mom. I wanted to the the, one, the mom amazed me more than anything. The mom came beside the dad and started to sing. And as far as I can tell by the way the story was told, started to sing both to the son and to the father. And she started to sing, What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Wow. I know it's hard to be a mom. I know it's hard to be a dad. We've, we've done it. We've, we've been successful and we failed. We know how hard it is. I just want to say the best way to be a mom and a dad is the best way to do anything else you're doing in life. Do it in the presence of God. Do it with a connection to heaven, with an eternal perspective. And that's what that mom had. At the time that you could see her going hysterical, she chose to live out of what she had been living in. And she lived out of what she had been, she had already been in God's presence, in his perspective, and all that. And it came out when the, the Bible says, if you falter in a day of trouble, how small is your strength? I'm just telling you now, a tough day is coming. Get ready for it now by having the right mind. Focus on eternity. Focus on the presence of God. And when that tough time comes, you will be able to bear it. I'll never forget. I'm sorry. You know I'm going to talk about it. You know it. You saw me coming. I'll never forget when Michelle and Paula had to say goodbye to their first child to go to heaven. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was as tragic and sad an experience. These are my dear, dear friends. They're my family. And I watched them go through this. 
But I'm telling you, to God's credit and theirs, they plugged into the presence of God. And nurses and doctors came in, and they literally told my daughter, who was working there as a nurse then, we've never, we've never had, we've lost babies before, but we've never experienced that before. The presence of God settled into that hospital room. It was an awesome experience of heaven coming down to earth. It was amazing. And when you live in that, when the tough times come, you'll be able to continue living in it still. Can you say amen? So I just want to say to you, Titus, whichever one of those seven boys you are, preach the word! Oh, man. I don't know what to do. I knew I couldn't fit this in. All right. You want, can, can we do this next week? Can I finish this part next week? Mm -hmm. Is anybody not going to be here next week? <laughs> All right, you're not going to be here. Hey, Nancy, where are you headed? I heard a rumor. Where are you? You're going overseas, again, aren't you? You're going on another mission trip. <laughs> That's for work. That's for work. I love it. Where? Work related. Oh, let them pay the bill. You <laughs> go do the work of God. James, same with you in Japan, man. Japan is less than one percent believer. I think it's like point. Wow. It's, it's it's like point something low. Point something Christian. Go there and God, James. Go there and pray and break through for that nation. Pray over those churches and over. Live with that eternal perspective. Every, every one of you, wherever you go, just pray for an eternal perspective. Pray that people around you don't just think there's no God. Don't just live in this world. Don't think that there's no hope beyond this life. Pray eternity in people's lives. Pray that heaven comes down into your life, but into their lives, in your family members, your work associates, your schoolmates, your, your uh, uh, this church, everywhere we are. Just pray for heaven to come down. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna hold off until next week. I, I want to talk about Jesus being the, the ultimate apostle, the ultimate prophet, and our connection with him. I'll do that next week on, on the third. I have one more Sunday before our God encounter weekends, and and I know I, I, I'd be able to do that next week. And but I have all kinds of applications for us as a church. But I'm gonna give you one. One, I'm, I'll cite a few, but I'll explain one, and then we'll be done. If you want to live for eternity in this church, I'm just telling you, you got to plug into God and God. You say, I already been to a God and God, I don't need to go. And that might be true, although I find every time I go, I get more, okay? But how about thinking about it this way? It's not for you, it's for your friends and family members. It's for you to bring someone else. In this church, if you want to live for eternity, plug into God encounters, plug into family groups. Nothing that we do in this life is going to live in through eternity except being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. And the best way in this church to do that is through our family groups. And then I want to say the third thing right here. What makes God encounters what they're supposed to be, family groups what they're supposed to be, Sunday morning service what they're supposed to be, prayer. And I'm going back to that. So I encourage you, our service, come at 10.30. You can come at 11. That's when we start our worship.
But we start our service at 10.30 with prayer. And we would love to have as every week more and more come in for prayer because that's what shakes the nations. That's what shakes our lives. And it's, it's the power of prayer. And that's what shakes our God encounters and our family groups. So those three things, I want to encourage you that I'm just going to list those very quickly and say, you know what? Go ahead and, uh, and respond. If you want to respond for something of eternal value, Respond to those things that I just mentioned. But I just want to say, and by the way, you know, we have a new leader in our Women's God Encounter. Where are you, Geraldine? Where are you? Where's Geraldine? Hi, Geraldine. You know what Geraldine did? Geraldine said, I, I, I've been to one God Encounter. They're asking me to help with the next one. I don't know if I'm really equipped to do that, but I'm going to say yes. And she made herself available. And last night she was with some of the other sisters in our church for the encounter, and she was saying, I really need prayer. They started praying for her last night, and last night, Geraldine got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah! And Carol told me what happened, and I ran back over there, and I gave her a big high five. And, and when, after I gave her a high five, she just, like... She, you can see her still melting in the presence of God. When the, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like a love. Like, yeah. it's just not, it's not, it doesn't hurt. It's like, it's just a flood of love. It seems like it should overwhelm you, but it lifts you up. It strengthens you. And she, you can see her just still crying out, oh, I love God's poured his love in my life by the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. You know what? I, I'm going to give you a principle. You know why she got baptized? She's been in church, a beautiful church. I know her pastor before she uh, became a part of, moved here and became a part of this church. I've known him for 20 years plus. Beautiful, beautiful church. And you say, well, why, why baptism of the Holy Spirit just now? You know? And I'll tell you why. She made herself available to go to the next level in doing the work of God. And when you go to the next level, the, here, here's what I'm saying to you. All hands on deck mentality means that all boats are going to be lifted by the beautiful waters of the Holy Spirit. When you get all hands on deck, God rushes his waters in and all boats float. All boats lift. The tide rises. We all float into places that God, it's just awesome. God gives us heaven on earth. Are you experiencing heven on earth? By the power of the Holy Spirit, Geraldine. And so, here, here's, I'm going to give you a very practical thing. And I want, I want to give you homework, okay? Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2. That's the whole book. It's one of the shortest books of the Bible. Haggai 1 and, and chapter 2. It's, it's one of the shortest books of the Bible. And I want to give you, and, 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 and don't worry, I'm not going to preach another sermon. Hold on, I'm getting a text. Okay. Every text that comes from my family in Pennsylvania, I'm going to read it right then. Because, I, you, know, you know, if you know me, you know my circumstances with my, my, uh, my buddy, my sister, Lori. And, uh, but, just give a quick update here. But I was open to that because I wrote something down for this thing that I wanted to share. On Friday night, I told you we had this beautiful worship and prayer time. And I don't usually plan for this. I just... I just, before I go in, I pray and say, Lord, is there a theme or is there a scripture? And, and as I was going, you know, preparing to go in, I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to pray over that passage. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the nations. And so, I'll be honest with you. I don't have total recall. I've been around the Bible a long time. I'm a pastor, all that stuff. But I, I don't remember the whole book. So sometimes I have to refresh myself. So I opened up Haggai 
and I said, I opened it up, I, I searched real quick, where's Hashem, what, what passage is this boring one? And I, I turned to Haggai, and when I got into Haggai, I'm like, that applies to everything that, that we're experiencing right now as a church. And so I just read it, and I read it again since Friday night, and, uh, and I, I just had a strong sense of the Spirit from Friday night that that should be our focus of prayer, and then also a strong sense that this would be what I share with you this morning. And, and so I'm going to encourage you to read Haggai. And here's the context for what I'm going to share. Again, it sounds like I'm starting a whole other, I'm starting another thought, but it's, you're okay. All right, you're okay. In 2009, God used a most serious financial need to address something that, was, that had been going on in this church. This church is 111 years old this year. But for 40 years, there was a chronic issue. And without us realizing that it would happen, that financial need, God used it to address that chronic issue. And, and God took our church that was like the Israelites in the desert, staying in the desert for a long period of time, and said, now you can break free into your future. And it was awesome to see how, how God did that. And it was a totally different reason that God had uh, than just meeting the financial need. But I believe that it happened as, as a result of being in the presence of God through prayer, that, that at that point, after the fact, the Holy Spirit gave us a heavenly perspective rather than an earthly perspective. Well, I'm going to share with you, as we've been sharing with you two or three times since October, we're again facing a financial need. But this time for me, I didn't receive a heavenly perspective after the fact. I, I really believe that I've received a heavenly perspective before the fact. And that is that God is going to use the need that we're experiencing right now financially to address way more important things among us. You see, I began to look at the preschool and say, you know, the preschool is very successful, but they're still not able to pay full rent payments to us, and that's the issue. And the Lord said to me, I believe really strongly the Lord said this to me, and you can pray about it, because the Bible says when there's prophecy, there has to be a, a, an agreement among others as well, that we all can come to this place together here for the Lord. So I'm submitting this to you. That I feel like the Lord said to me, the issue is not the preschool, the issue is the church. I felt like the Lord was impressing upon me, Dave, you should be able to do everything you need to do financially with or without the rent, rental income from the preschool. That rental income should be surplus. That should be something that you use to to do whatever projects need to be done in the building or, or, or you know, pay down the, the, the mortgage of the building, all of those things, like, just address those things. Get ahead financially in a major way from the preschool. But everything you're doing as a church, it's the church's responsibility. It's the church. And so I don't want you to think right now that I'm saying to you, you're not giving enough. I'm not. I might be suggesting that you might not be praying as much as God wants you to be. I might be suggesting that you might not be all hands on deck in your mindset towards what we're doing as much as you need to be. I might be saying that like Haggai of those people who are busy building their own house and neglecting the building of God's house, that you might be guilty. 
guilty of, of focusing too much on your own financial needs or your own uh, uh, time frame uh, towards your own career or your own home. I'm, I'm not telling you what God is telling you. I'm just suggesting that you pray about this. Read the book of Haggai. Because in the book of Haggai, there wasn't all hands on deck. They built the foundation of the Lord's temple and then they stopped. And they went back to building their own houses. And they focused on the earthly rather than the eternal. And the prophet had to come from heaven and say to them, it's not enough for you to build your own houses and leave the house of God in, in ruins. You need to build it up. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So what I'm saying to you, a practical application of this message, it's not just to say I'm going to think of heaven more, but I'm going to think of how I live my life in view of heaven more. And I'm going to think about how I respond to my church family, to the responsibility that I have. And I know I'm not talking to everyone here, because not everyone here, this is your church family. I get that. But if there is a sense of God's called me here, my heart is here, then I just want to encourage you, one of the greatest ways to have an eternal perspective is have an all-hands-on-deck mentality of what God is doing here. To say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that more people are invited to a God encounter than have ever been invited before, more people are invited to Sunday, that we have all the, the resources of personnel and finances eventually that we need, not just from the, 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 the out, outer income. And by the way, outer income is biblical. Cyrus and Darius and all of them, they gave to the people of God. So other sources of income. But before they were blessed in the book of Haggai, you'll see it. Before they were blessed, they had to commit to give what they could give time and, 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 and finances and things like that. They had to do what they were called to do. And then the blessing of God poured down upon them. But Jonathan Hughes, what the Holy Spirit told you on Friday night, it's also in the book of Haggai. I didn't remember it until I read it after Friday night. And it says in there, purify yourself, consecrate yourself, don't be unclean in any way. And this is what the Lord is doing with Embassy Church. He's consecrating us. He's cleaning us up, not by spanking us and abusing us, but by giving us His love and His grace and His kingdom and His Holy Spirit. And as a result, He's washing us clean and, and He's making us pure in our focus and, and our lifestyles. And, and we're becoming totally committed to Him. And as we are, read the rest of that, the back part of Haggai. It says, then the Lord will bless you from that day forward. You will be blessed and the nations will come to you. And so I just want to say this to you. Don't just hear a great message. You've heard the word of God this morning. And I love that you've heard it and received it as the people of God. And you know I, I love how you love God. You know I do. But I'm also saying, don't just receive it for your own life. Receive it for what God has in mind for us together as Embassy Church. And if we respond to God as He's calling us to respond, nothing is impossible with God.